This is Mitchell McLam, lead pastor of Sapona Road Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. We're so excited you found our podcast. Our prayer is that you're blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about Sapona Road Church or would like to give to this ministry, please visit our website at saponaroadchurch.com. We hope you have a great day and enjoy today's message. seated. Thank you so very much, worship team. It's a nasty day today. Amen? It's so nasty, y'all don't even want to give me an amen on it that it's nasty. I know you didn't want to get out and get in your car and come to the church house this morning with that weather like it was, but you did, and I'm thankful that you did. Amen? When I walked in, it was not as beautiful as it is right now, and there was still water falling from the sky. I pulled up, and the parking lot kind of looked like it was swimming, or it was a swimming pool. Brian pulled up shortly after I did, and when he pulled up, I was still sitting in the Jeep because I didn't want to get out. (laughs) And so then he ruined that moment for me, and I had to get out of the Jeep because somebody else was in the parking lot with me. And I said, man, this is terrible. He said, but you know, it doesn't hardly ever rain on Sunday. You think about it. How many days till we come to the house in a beautiful, sunshiny day that it doesn't hardly rain on Sunday? If you really don't know, maybe it's an opportunity for you to volunteer in the parking lot. Because then you wouldn't know whether it's raining or not on Sundays. Amen? Today's a good day. I talked to uh, Sister Judy Stamball this morning, and uh, she wanted me to uh, communicate to you their appreciation for your prayers and their love. Uh, Brother Joe had a scare this week, and uh, he was he's very, very sick, and um, it was not a good, good couple days there for him, uh, but the Lord has answered prayers, and he is alert and awake and talking, and he does... Uh, Still has some issues going on. He is still very sick, and they're having to resolve through some of those. Um, But he's here, and he's still breathing and living and talking. And I walked in, I believe, on Wednesday and said, Brother Joe, and he was having a moment. He wasn't excited about anything that was taking place, but he stopped and froze what he was doing, noting his eyes. I said, I love you. He said, I love you. That deep Brother Joe voice. Um but he knew who knows knew who I was, and uh, but she said he's doing good this morning. So I just want to thank you for your prayers, and uh, continue to pray for them, uh, Sister Judy and Timmy, and uh, the other kids as they're dealing with this time. It's never easy to walk through any kind of difficulty like this, uh, as some of you know. But um, Sister Judy works hard, and this is a strain for her, and so she's juggling a lot of different things. So keep her in your prayers. Amen. It's Christmas season. Can I officially say that now that Thanksgiving's behind us for you Thanksgiving first people? Uh, it's Christmas season, and that's exciting to me. And so uh, I started trying to, to ponder and pray on this sometime back. And so I spent some time talking with um, Pastor Rebecca about different things for 
how we were going to plan out the month and how we were going to work this out. And we kind of just talked back and forth. And every conversation that we've had has kind of brought me back to the, the thought of the characters of Christmas. And just looking at different uh, people throughout the Christmas story that we all know so well, uh, that we've read and we know and you've lived it, some of you for many more years than I have and that other people have, but we know this story. And so the idea for us is to look at different characters of the story and find life application in uh, the different parts that they played in this so familiar story. It's going to be kind of laid back. Obviously, everything that we're going to do today is feeling laid back. Do you feel kind of laid back today? Y'all got to wake up now. If you don't wake up, we're not going nowhere. So you got to stay with me. Hang on. I know that it's it's just kind of dreary and whatever, but stay with me. Hang on. Um, we're going to walk through this together. If you would, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to start this conversation. I want us to look at, at the role today of the Magi, the the Magi are probably more known to you as the wise men. And um, common misconception, one thing that's very interesting to me is when you see a nativity scene, the little figurine set out somewhere, you see wise men in that nativity, and that is absolutely incorrect. It doesn't make sense. And we'll talk in just a minute about it. Sure, they were there. They were a part of this Christmas story. But the nativity scene being the place where Jesus was born, and the nativity's always set up right as the little stable, and you see the little animals and the donkey and, and sweet baby Jesus, and uh, you see Mary and Joseph and the angel. All that scene is correct in the time that Luke really describes the birth of Jesus. But the wise men, the Magi, don't fit on that scene. It doesn't make sense that they're there. And so we'll talk about that here in just a little bit. But if you look at Matthew chapter 2, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men, or the original translation would be Magi. If we go all the way back, we could uh, go to a, a funky, different-looking word, but it's still Magi or wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. You need to make a note. Uh, you need to pay attention to something that I had never really noticed before. Maybe you have. I don't know. But verse 2, they say, where is the newborn king of the Jews? You need to, to pay attention to the, the beginning of this, that they have already identified Jesus as king. From the very outset of this, they know that he's been born, and from the moment of his birth, he doesn't have to be anointed as a king. He doesn't have to be set forth as a king. From the moment that he entered into the world, from the moment that he came on the scene in earth, these guys already recognize him as king. You with me? That's important because so many of us don't do that. So many of us wait until, until he arrives on our scene, and we wait until he's moved in our situation. We wait until he's the king over whatever it is in our life, and then we see that. We see that supremacy. We see that power, and then we place him to the authority as king. But before anything has ever taken place, he's still got dirty diapers, and he's still crying, and whatever it is, the moment he enters on the scene, these guys say, where is the king of the Jews? And then he goes on, verse 3, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, I'm sure as any king would be, because 
We don't like to feel threatened. All the people in Jerusalem were disturbed. He called a meeting, King, King Herod called a meeting of the leading priests, teachers of religious law, and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem, search carefully for the child. When you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. Do you realize that the wise men showed up to talk to Herod and ask a question Herod had no idea the answer to? Where can we find the king of the Jews? Where can we find this newborn king? And then Herod's got to pull in the council of guys. He's got to pull in that, that group, that tight-knit of the elders, the teachers, the religious. He said, hey, uh, what's this guy talking about? Where is this, this king at? And they said, well, you obviously don't know, but there was a prophecy that there would a, a king would come up out of Bethlehem, and this is where he's at. He goes back and he tells them. But the interesting part is we go just like they did. They, they had to go to another source so often to find out where the king really is. What if they'd have just followed the star? They had already seen the star. And if you pay attention, they didn't need to know they had to go to Bethlehem. Because after this takes place, this is after the interview, the wise men went their way, the star they had seen, and the east guided them to Bethlehem. They didn't need directions. They didn't need a map. They just needed to follow the star. Right? That logic reason with you like it is with me? The interesting part of this is I don't think it was a star. There's lots of debate, and we could go on and on. And these guys, first of all, were astrologers. They were study of astrology. They studied the stars. They studied the sky. They studied astrology magic, and they, they loved to interpret dreams. They also studied Jewish tradition. These guys were not Jews. They were Gentiles. And so they, they had studied and they had figured out what it was. They were looking for a king which they had read about in books. They had no firsthand experience at the moment of what they were really going to look for. But they had read the history books. They had read scripture. They knew what was coming. And, and so they show up to find this king. But this interview takes place and then they follow the star. Some people believe that Jupiter and Saturn had a passing or a colliding or something during this time, and it created this monstropolis uh, bright thing in the sky that just so happened to be at the right place at the right time. Some people believe that it was a comet or a shooting star or something that it just happened to be in the right place. But it really doesn't make a lot of sense because they saw the star in the east, but Bethlehem was south of Judea. Stars typically go from east to west, Right? The sun rises in the east, it sets in the west, right? And that's a typical pattern, not just for the sun, but for all of astrology for the stars. They go from east to west, so it made sense that a star would go from east to west. But when they walk out of this interview with Herod, that they didn't really need to be in in the first place, they walk out, they look up, and they find the star that was in the east, and now the star, now the, the star goes south. It makes a whole lot more sense to me that the star would simply be the glory of God. 
I don't have to have an explanation of a, a star in the sky. I don't have to have an explanation of there being matter there that would be glowing in a way that would, would, would produce light. I don't have to have that. My mind is small, and I think inside the box a whole lot. But this is the miraculous coming on the scene of the king of the world. He doesn't need a star to show where he's at. When he entered into the world, when, when conception took place with Mary from the Holy Spirit, the glory of God shone bright in the first place. Right? And I think back to the, the children of Israel in, in the wilderness, and they followed the leading of the Spirit. They followed the, the pillars of fire and, and the, the clouds of fire. They were following the glory of God to get them out of the wilderness, correct? Correct? Why would this be any different? And they sought after the glory of God. They saw the glory of God, yet they still had a moment where they stopped and asked for directions. But then here's this phenomena that everybody wants to explain as to where the star comes from. But they follow it, and it says it went ahead of them. I'm picking up in verse 9. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. I know some people that love to see shooting stars. And there's moments when you see one that it's exciting. Oh, you don't never get to see a shooting star, right? It'll put a smile on your face for a moment. And then it's gone because you never get to see it again. Right? And what's so disappointing to know is that that's actually a star falling out of the sky, falling out of its place, and you just got excited about the star falling from the place that it was put originally, right? I like shooting stars, but I don't believe they were filled with joy over a shooting star. I believe they were filled with joy because they had seen the glory of God and they knew they were at a place where they were about to meet who they had already identified as the king. So as they show up, they enter the house, saw the child with his mother. And this is where things differ. Because our beautiful nativity sets that we would want to set out on the counter and on our mantle would show the wise men showing up the night that Jesus came into the world and that Mary had to bear him in and he was laid into the manger. Is that the way your nativity sets are made? Because it puts all the characters in place, but it doesn't line out the time stamp. And so if we don't know any different, we think they were all there at the same time. But that completely takes away the journey of the wise men. You eliminate their part of the story by putting them on the scene, kneeling at baby, baby Jesus' feet in the beginning. They cared enough about finding the king. They cared enough about worshiping the king that they did what they had to do for some time. Many people believe that Jesus by this point was two to three years old. That means since the time they first saw the star and the time they actually arrived at their destination to worship had taken them two to three years. I know some of y'all drive a ways to get in here on a Sunday morning, but it didn't take you two years. Right? They showed up, though. 
They sought after Jesus. It says that when they got there, they entered the house and they saw him with his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They sought after Jesus. That's the first application from their life that we need to apply to ours. They journeyed as long as it took to make it to the king. Not to a baby. Not to a kid. I've got a three-year-old. I would not go two years to make my way to find a three-year-old to open up gold, frankincense, and myrrh to pour it out at his feet. I love my three-year-old. His feet were in the back of my head last night. They sought after Jesus. From the time they saw the star, these were not even... That they, they may have had some religious... It was more philosophical... Philosophical background rather than a religious background. They studied thought, they studied theory, but they really didn't have the religious side of the story. Yet they knew that a king was coming and they sought after the king. How, how often are we really... I'm just being real. Don't we get caught up especially during this time of the year? where we're seeking after everything else? Are we seeking after the king with everything? They dropped everything. They're, they're men of high stature. We don't really know that there were three, by the way. That's another little interesting side of the nativity set. We have no idea how many there were. We say there were three because they brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They brought three gifts. But we really don't know that there wasn't a whole, a whole slew of them that brought all this gold and a whole slew more that brought frankincense and a whole slew more that brought myrrh. We have no idea how many there were. We just attribute it to there being three men, tall, dark, and handsome with their fancy crowns on, showing up with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Right? Because that's what every depiction of the Christmas story has ever shown us. But that depiction of the Christmas story had robbed them of their journey. It robs them of what they had to get through to ever get to the place where they're at the feet of Jesus, where they're able to open up their treasure chest. I believe that the treasure chest really, truly in that moment represents their heart. They opened up what they had. They opened up their heart and they poured out their very best. They, they, they showed up. They recognized Jesus as king in the very beginning of this, but on their journey, before they ever left the house, they knew he was king because they're bringing gifts fit for a king. They're bringing gold, which is the, the, valuable, the, the valuable element, the richness. They're bringing that value to him. They're bringing frankincense the, to, to represent the, the scent of his life, the incense, the worship, the aroma, the richness, the fullness of Jesus' life, the myrrh, which actually is an embalming agent that would be representative of his death, but it wasn't necessarily what they knew was taking place. Old Testament, it's a spice that was valued, that was wanted, but it symbolizes what was really going to take place later in Jesus' life. 
They knew before they ever left the house who they were going to see. They didn't know what he looked like. They didn't have a, I don't know that they had a clue that he was going to be a three-year-old rowdy boy running around acting crazy. Y'all know Jesus run around that crazy. Don't you think he got beatings from Mary? It didn't matter what it looked like. It didn't matter what it was going to be fa- what, what they were going to be faced with. It didn't matter what it was going to be when they got there. They started the journey with their best. I wonder how many of us can go back and think about times in life when we waited on Jesus or we started seeking after Jesus and we kind of started, well, I'll do this a little bit and we'll see what happens. I find myself sometimes being the guy that I'll test the waters just a little bit before I go all in. And I know that about myself, so I've learned to go the opposite extreme. And I'm just like, whatever, we're going all in from the beginning. But if we're not careful, we want to test Jesus. We want to start this journey with just a little bit. Well, I I tell you what, I really don't want to do it all right now. We'll just say church attendance. I'm willing to go to church one Sunday out of the month, and we'll see how things go. And if Jesus starts blessing my life, we'll bump it up as we go. I know you don't do that rationale. It's just an analogy. Well, God blesses me a little bit. Well, we'll bump it up to two weeks. Then he starts pouring it out on us. Well, Lord, have mercy. Let's go three out of the four. One of them's raining and nasty. Or maybe it's in our our study or our devotion time. Maybe it's smiling at the lady at Walmart on Black Friday when people were trying to teach their kids how to walk. I just called somebody out and y'all don't even know it. I'm just kidding. I'm willing to give half my heart until Jesus gives me a reason to give the rest. That's the point. I'm willing to give what's comfortable until I see a reason, I see value to give the remainder. That makes sense in our world we live in. It makes sense that you don't take everything you have and put it in one investment just on a whim with somebody saying, hey, that's the one to do it. You don't do that. You test the water a little bit. You you put a little bit there, and if you see a return, then you begin to give it more and more and more, right? Even in our relationships, it's not right, but we test the waters. Men, I know you ain't tested your wife lately. I know you ain't tried to see just how far you could get away with something before she started getting on you about it. But realistically, with our relationships, don't we give just enough to get by? And then when we start seeing some return out of it, we give a little more. And then the more we get, the more we give. These guys weren't like that. They left the house with the best. And then they show up and they worship. They sought after Jesus. And now they're worshiping Jesus. 
They worshiped him with their gifts. They literally brought what was valuable to him, opened themselves up and poured it out. They worshiped him with their humility. I don't know that Jesus was a rowdy three-year-old boy, but you ever met a three-year-old boy that wasn't rowdy? I really don't know that. That's my theology. That's my thought. Maybe he wasn't. Maybe he was a perfect angel as the son of God. I don't know. Either way, he's a three-year-old boy. And here are these sophisticated astronomy study and philosophical Jewish tradition knowledgeable guys showing up and they show up at just this common place. Bethlehem was not a fancy place. That's why Jesus came through Bethlehem. They leave their homes, their place, which many believe was probably Babylon, and they show up to Bethlehem. It's like leaving New York City to show up in Irwin. And then you get there and walk in the door, and it's like, well, hey, this is not a palace. But it didn't matter. They bowed in humility. They worshiped him with their gifts, but it says they bowed at his feet and worshiped him. Do you know that whenever you bow, you're at an extremely vulnerable state? And specifically, if I bow at the feet of Jesus and I turn my back to you, I'm 100% vulnerable to anything that you'd want to do to me. Right? Yet they humbled themselves enough to bow before Jesus. They didn't have a problem turning their back to everything else. They didn't have a problem focusing on Jesus. They gave him their gifts. They gave him their humility, but they also gave him their time. I jumped ahead, so you already know it took them two years to get there. How many of us are willing to give that much time? The time that it takes, maybe it takes 15 minutes for you to get in touch with the Lord. Maybe you can sit down and read three verses of Scripture and have a prayer, and you have had the Lord fall in that moment, and you've been in touch with the, the Lord on a daily basis in the morning, praise God for you. Normally, I'm not awake in three minutes. So am I willing to press on through that time to actually get in connection with God? I really didn't intend on this to kind of take this turn, but the second time we've ended up in this place in a conversation. What, is, what does it look like for us to sacrifice that time during the day? We give our time to so many other things, right? I'm guilty. I'm with you. It's not hard for me to pull out my phone and go to the YouVersion Bible app and Pull up a reading plan and 
flum through a devotion real quick and move on about my day. But typically it accomplishes nothing. Right? Be honest. Because the time that I sat there flumming through my phone, I got three other notifications. And my mind was completely where I'm going next, not in the moment. Therefore, I really haven't sacrificed any time at all. I'm using that example for me, but all of us have some way, shape, or form. Are we willing to give our time? The time to seek after Jesus and the time to worship him. You set aside an hour and 15, 20 minutes to come in here on a Sunday morning. That's great. What's the connection look like the rest of the week? Micah, I'm only going to meet with you, baby. One hour and 20 minutes a week. And our marriage is going to be spectacular. It's going to be on point. We're going to love each other. And in that hour and 20 minutes, we're going to handle all the problems of the world. We're going to show our love and affection for each other. We're going to appreciate you. We're going to figure out how we're going to raise our kids. That's impossible. Right? It's impossible for two human beings to have that kind of interaction that are trying to live a life in union with one another. So what in the world makes us think it would be possible to have communion with a Heavenly Father that loves us beyond anything and wants to use us to change the world on that kind of time? We couldn't raise a family and keep in connection with each other. More or less change the world. There's no way. They sought after Jesus, they worshiped Jesus, but then they were obedient. Their goal was, first of all, they messed up. They showed up to Herod and said, hey, where's the king? Well, Herod didn't have a clue. He wasn't the guy to ask. Right? We've established that. Why not just follow the star? God's given you whatever you need in your life to stay in connection with him. All throughout the, the history of the children of Israel being led out of Egypt, every step of every way, when they put the presence of God first in their life, he led them through every situation. Even to the point they crossed over into the promised land. We talked about that several weeks back. The presence of God went in. The, the priests, the, the, the protectors of the, the covenant, the protectors of the ark stepped in first. When they stepped in, the water parted and the people of Israel walked across, right? All throughout history, when the presence of God goes first, the people of God are fine. Right? They didn't need to stop and ask for directions. All they had to do was to keep the presence of God first. I don't believe it was a star. I believe it was the visual, the, the actual visual representation of the presence of God. Yet they stop and ask for directions. And when they did, when they took their focus off of the presence, Herod uses that moment to say, hey, you go find him. And when you do, come back and tell me where he's at. He said, I'm going to go worship him too. 
I'd have probably trusted him. He's the king. Herod the Great. Man, we've been given a commission. We've been given a job. Let's go find Jesus, and we're coming back to Herod, and, and, and Herod gets to go worship the king because of what we're about to accomplish. There's a lot of we, my, I, and us in that statement. And it has nothing to do with me, my, I, us, period. And thank God that he cared enough. I believe for their sake, sure. I have no idea what would have happened if Herod could have gotten to Jesus. But I believe that it was more for the sake of the Magi, more for the sake of the wise men, that God shows up in a dream and says, hey, you've been deceived. You don't need to go back to Herod. And it's a small token. We don't pay attention to it because we're just reading the story like we've read it for the last ever how long. But it says when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. You know what I see? I see the redemptive grace of God in their life in that moment. I mean, sure, I'm pointing fingers at them. That they had to go to Herod and they shouldn't have went to Herod. I really don't think they had to go to Herod. I'm not just saying that to make this sermon better. I truly, why would they have had to? They saw the star. Herod said, tell me about when you first saw it. It led them already to the, it led them this far. Why couldn't they trust it to take them the rest of the way? They took their eyes off the presence of God. And it almost cost them history. Because had they showed back up to Herod, Herod was on his way to kill Jesus. Right? But God's grace and compassion was so big for these guys that he showed himself in a dream and says, and I'm putting words to fill this statement, but although you took your eyes off the glory of God and although you decided to to seek somebody else for some advice, I'm willing to give you the grace and the mercy. Don't go back. You took your eyes off of me once, but don't go back. And they did go home another way. As should we. They were obedient. More times than I would like to tell you in my life, my eyes came off the glory of God. And I found my own way. And I started asking the world for directions to a God destination. It doesn't even make sense. That's what they did. They're asking this worldly king for directions to a God destination. Nothing in this world can get us to our God destination. God can use every step of every day 
in the world. He can use different things within this to get us to a place and to grow us to get us there. But I don't care how you do it. I don't care what, how you wrap up the words. You can't ask directions from anything within the world and get directions to the God destination for your life. It doesn't work. Because his, his ways are higher than mine. His thoughts are higher than mine. And if they're higher than mine, they're short of higher than the rest of the world's. You don't know my destination, and you sure enough don't know how to get me there. They sought after Jesus, and they worshipped them, but then after they worshipped Jesus, they remained obedient. God showed them the way home. We don't need any other explanation. We don't need to know anything other than the fact they took that route. I love that Matthew gives us this recount of the wise men. And I love that when you get your Christmas decorations out, if you haven't already, and you sit the wise men in their place right beside the little manger with Jesus, from now on you're going to second guess that, and you're going to want to sit them way down four or five feet away from it, looking like they're on a journey. Sure, they brought gifts. And we could talk about the gifts and what the gifts represent. We could talk about all that. But I love the account of the wise men because Matthew gives us this thought of the journey. It took time. It took effort. It took constant focus. So are we going to seek after Jesus, truly worshiping him, not just this hour and 20 minutes with our hands lifted high and singing out these awesome songs? And I know you didn't know about that third song they started doing a while ago. I'd never heard it either till they sang it. That's a powerful song. But that's not all that worship is. When we worship outside of this hour and 20 minutes, it makes this hour and 20 minutes easy to worship. I'm not a psychic. I don't have a clue what you do throughout the week. But I can typically tell what your worship's been like by the way you worship within this hour and 20 minutes. So, to keep from judging you, I sit at the front where I can't see you. I'm just being honest with you. This worship team stands on stage, and you think they're crazy, and you think that they look funny, and they're like this. They don't want to see you. I've led worship. When I started leading worship, I learned how to play guitar, and I memorized every song with my eyes closed because I didn't need to see the people I was attempting to lead into a place they weren't ready to go to. That was really deep. But it's true. The way we worship outside of this hour and 20 minutes reflects how we worship within the hour and 20 minutes. And then they were obedient. It is always my goal 
to communicate the word of God with truth and effectiveness in some way, shape, or form. That it would be accurate, that it would be rightly divided. But I truly believe that I have a gifting in some way, shape, or form for shedding a different light on Scripture. Until God started showing this so simple 12 verses in the way that he did, I'd never thought about the wise men like this. And so every time I approach the platform, it really is my heart to make something be seen that God would somehow, some way, make you see something in a different way. That you could apply it to your life and in turn live in a different way. I don't know how you've seen the wise men. Maybe you know all about them. If you do, you can give me a history lesson in a little while. But don't rob them of their journey. And make sure that we're living ours. My prayer today is very simple. It's that no matter how long the journey takes, we don't lose sight of the glory of God. That we never stop worshiping with everything that we are. We would open up, I love the way the New Living Translation said they open their treasure chest. That's different, and I didn't catch it till I was standing here reading it earlier. They opened up the treasure chest because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, right? And they opened up the treasure chest, I believe, of their heart and poured themselves out as an act of worship. But by the grace of God, they were given an opportunity to act in obedience, and they did so. My prayer is that we would do the same. Father, I love you, Lord. God, I thank you for sending your son to this earth. God, I thank you that from the moment he became part of a living being within Mary, Father, he was king. He was the king of the Jews from that point. He had been a king before in your heavenly places, God. But from that moment of conception, the moment where he began to have life and blood pumping through his body, he was the king of the Jews and he was king on the earth. God, and I pray that in the moments whenever we don't see God moving, in moments whenever we're weak, God, when we don't really understand what's going on in our life, Father, that we wouldn't reserve ourselves. God, we wouldn't hold ourselves back for, for a response from God, but we would step from the very beginning, from the very outset of this journey. We would step into it with a whole heart. God, we step into it with everything that we are recognizing that Jesus is King. God, maybe we've lost our sight of who you are. Maybe we've lost the sight of your presence. Maybe we've got ahead of the presence of God and we've attempted to, to lead our own way and find our own way. I thank you for grace and mercy and forgiveness that's seen just in these simple 12 verses in the story of the wise men. Father, maybe we've not worshipped you with a whole heart. That we've not been willing to give of our time. We've not been willing to give of our talents, our abilities, our gifts. Father, the, the things of value in our life. Maybe we've not been willing to give you the attention. God, forgive us. 
as we're stepping into this journey with a whole heart. Fathers, you've laid out our path. You've given us direction. You've warned us of ways not to go. Father, help us to walk in obedience. Thank you, Lord. These guys took off on a journey with their most valuable gifts, not having a clue what they were going to find. But they had to start with one step. They started with the first step. And so I want to ask, with that thought in mind, as you step out of your pew to come and let's join together as a family in this altar for a, a moment of prayer, as you step out, I want that step to be a commitment that you're willing to step out in seeking Jesus with everything, that we're worshiping him with a whole heart, that we're stepping in an act of obedience. So when you make that step, would you, would you think about that consciously, that I'm making a step to seek after Jesus? Could we come and gather in this altar for a moment as we conclude this time of prayer together as a family? Father, we're stepping out for you today. Determining today, God, that we're going to seek you with everything that we are. That we're going to follow the leading of the wise men today, God. That we're seeking after you. That you're worthy to be sought after. Father, we're coming to you with a treasure chest of things within our heart, God. Maybe things that we've not shown anybody else, God. The things that we don't want anybody else to see, Lord. We're going to crack open that treasure chest today and pour ourselves out to you. Father, we're going to walk in obedience. Family, could you just pray that together, that we're seeking after him, we're worshiping him with a whole heart, and we're being obedient in his direction. Father, as a family, we stand here together united in prayer. Father, I pray, God, that as we commit ourselves to seeking after you, God, that you would reveal yourselves in a way you never have before. God, that we see something new, we see something special every moment of every day, God, that we see a new part of you, we see a new character of who you are in every situation of every moment. God, we, we understand and we respect the journey that it took to reach the point of destiny. God, we understand that these, these wise men had to travel a distance. They had to come and they had to follow your glory, God. Lord, we're committing ourselves to, to remain focused on your glory, to remain focused on your presence that will put you first in every area of our life. We'll follow your word. We'll be in communication with you, God, and we'll wait to hear your voice, whether it be in your word or whether it, it be in, in a, the feeling that you put in our heart, God, the way you speak to us in that, that still, quiet voice, God. We're seeking you. God, we're committing ourselves to an act of worship, to a heart of worship, a life of worship to give you more time, to give you more of, of the gifts that you've put with inside us, Father. To worship you with all humility. To realize that we're simply nobody in the sight of who you are. You are King Jesus. You're the king over every circumstance, the king over every trial, over every problem, the king over every victory. God, you can do all things but fail because you're king. We worship you with humility today. 
God, I thank you for the grace and the mercy that you've put on my life. God, that you've offered me more times than I, I can remember, God, more times than I could have ever deserved, God. You've given me grace, and you've called me to a life of obedience, God. And it's not so you can be some high and mighty God putting your thumb down on my life, but it's a life of obedience because it benefits me and my relationship with you, Lord. I pray that we walk in that obedience. Father, I thank you for this family. I thank you that you brought us together, that you brought us to this Christmas season, God, that we can celebrate you in all the hustle and bustle. Father, of this, this time, God, we give you the most worship we can give you. God, we put you first beyond everything else. God, I pray that you continue to be with our family, Lord, as we have many needs, God, the health the emotional, the, the physical, the financial needs, God, that are represented within our family. God, I pray that you touch us. God, you continue to pour out your blessings. God, we give you the first fruits of our worship, and we know that you're going to respond. I thank you for that, Lord. God, I worship you and I praise you, and I pray you bless your people, bless this house. Lord, bless the families that are represented here today. We thank you, God. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.